And so this morning I ask that you would turn with me in the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel in chapter 17. The title of the message this morning is Faith Forming Thankfulness. Faith Forming Thankfulness. And Luke, throughout his Gospel, we are, we've become familiar with Matthew's Gospel. And Luke's Gospel is written with a little bit of a, a, a chidingness and, in a godly way um, towards those who see themselves as religious already, you see themselves as righteous already without need of Jesus Christ. And many of his gospels, are, many, many parts of his gospel are faithful to present Jesus as sort of chiding the self-righteous to examine themselves and recognize that they are the sick and needy of the physician and specifically the Pharisees. And so Matthew or Luke edits his books so as to rob against those who believe that they are okay. And this morning, I believe that even this gospel has great relevance to you and I in sitting in the comfort of our own comfort zone and our own, um, our own contentedness or even discontentedness at times. Let the word of God rub against you with the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of revelation of Jesus Christ. And I believe even rub against each one of us in that very tender area of recognizing just how potentially, and I believe really, ungrateful we may be as Christ's followers. So this morning, the aim of the message is to understand how faith enters into thankfulness. So faith-formed thankfulness. And so Luke chapter 17, we'll begin reading in verse number 11 of Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Thus says the word of God. Would you join with me in prayer? Well, we are lepers that have been cleansed in a far deeper way. By the word of God, Father, you have cleansed us. You have done a new work in us. How could we hold back thanks? And yet we find ourselves in such need of reprimand, of rebuke, of correction and instruction in the righteous way. This morning, Father, open our hearts to recognize greater levels of gratitude and thankfulness and even their expression thereof. O Father, show us Christ, and surely we will bow our hearts before Him and offer Him the sacrifice of thanksgiving. We thank You for the living Word and the written Word here that we could enjoy and that could become a treasure for us. May this time be sacred for us, both young and old, here this morning. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What does a thankless heart look like? Maybe you've seen a thankless person and you could readily identify it. But is it possible that some who don't seem like us 
could be even more thankful than we are? Is it likely that we can be more thankful than physical blessings, than spiritual blessings? Luke includes this miracle in his gospel as to provoke to us to ask for us uh, to ask ourselves several questions. The Samaritans were a despised people, despised by the Jews in particular. They were considered half-breeds and were a people who were not faithful to God when Israel had, rest- had been restored back to its land from the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Effectually, when Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel and those men led the people back into a revival and to God-centered worship, the Samaritans were fine to settle and to continue to intermarry there just north of Jerusalem. They had intermarried with the Assyrians that had once conquered them under God's judgment of them not being faithful to him in the divided kingdom. Theirs was a syncretistic religion whereby they were willing to acknowledge God and they were devoted to the Torah and much of the Old Testament, but they had adopted many pagan symbols and practices into their worship. This group of ten lepers appears to have been a mixed bag of Jews and Samaritans. When the terrible disease of leprosy had overcome the lives of these ten, the cultural and the religious barriers had virtually disappeared as they had become interdependent upon one another for just basic level of survival. And such is the case, as you and I know, in many disasters in the middle of the human experience. Often we are in the times of greatest need when some of the artificial barriers seem to diminish and biases seem to disappear. And the leper colony was full of all kinds of people who were just eking out an existence as outcasts and exchanging favors with one another for basic survival. It didn't matter anymore what race or what religion you possessed. If you were a leper, you are now the walking dead. Leprosy has been virtually eradicated from the world today. It is known to be a different uh, name in the medical community. It's known as Hansen's disease. It's a bacterial infection. There's no known cure. There was no known cure at that time, but today there is a known cure. And that cure, if if applied early on in the symptoms, has virtually 100% a guaranteed success. But to the superstitious in ancient days and in Israel's days, to the superstitious and self-righteous Jews, lepers, even loved ones, were thought of as having become some of the greatest sinners among them struck down by God's righteous judgment, either as a result of their own sinfulness or as a result of inherited guilt. Ceremonially, ceremonially, Leviticus outlines the steps towards becoming acceptable in the temple for worship is clean. If one were to experience the effects of the reversal of the disease, of this debilitating effects, they were to show themselves to the priests and thereby offer sacrifices and be pronounced clean. The priests were kind of like the local health official. But incidentally, there was no known cure in the ancient times. And so really, the only times that we find recorded uh, of a leper being healed, we find a supernatural miracle. To have leprosy was a death sentence. And uh, the next slide, actually, Nathan, if you wouldn't mind showing that. In 
It was a death sentence. And once this terrible condition fell upon someone, it began to show evidence of scaling skin and numbness in the extremities. This, by the way, would be one of the most mild pictures that you could find of someone suffering from the effects of leprosy. My apologies if it has struck you by surprise. I meant to warn you about it. But this is a mild picture, comparatively speaking, to what it can look like. Sores plagued some of the most tender areas of the skin, including fingers and toes, and even the face itself with lips and cheeks and the ears. As soon the skin would become infected and sores would develop without any means of therapeutic relief. But while the disease was attacking the external parts of the body, it was also had a known effect to the internal organs as well, causing extreme discomfort. So both inwardly and outwardly, it was known to be the worst condition of human suffering by any disease. As the disease matured in the body and numbness set in, it was usually the exposure to elements and even the everyday life that became greater complications. If the leper would not feel, if the leper would not feel he had injured himself or was about to, he would seriously harm his body. Stories are told that a leper could stick his hand into hot coals of fire without comprehending the extreme pain and damage that was happening to his body. Thus, the injuries caused by the lack of feeling became one of the most serious and deadly effects of the disease. Loss of appendages and even limbs would result from injuries caused just simply due to the lack of feeling. Lepers would even cover their mouths when speaking to others and would need to stand some 30 feet away from those who were well. They were considered the dead. Dead to society and really dead in their own bodies. The walking dead. And while Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to to die, to be crucified, in this passage, he intentionally drew near to those who were utterly helpless. In this scene, we learn that the true depths of thankfulness are rooted in a heart of gospel-driven faith. The true depths of thankfulness are rooted in gospel-driven faith. The gospel is at the center of every person who glorifies God in thankfulness. There's not one blessing in your life, in my life, in the believer's life that is not given to us by the hand of a saving God. Only true worshipers know true thankfulness. There's no such thing as God-glorifying thankfulness in the heart of an unbeliever. And this passage is meant to provoke us, to us who are God's chosen people, to reflect upon the condition of thankfulness. Are we meant to be content merely with the physical? Or do you and I engage into an understanding of in God's presence there ought to be uninhibited thanksgiving for great salvation that He has brought to us? A question also that this that this passage relates to us is this. Do you want to relate to God in your giving of thanks? As we draw near to Jesus in this text, let's notice three evidences of gospel-centered, Christ-magnifying thankfulness in the leper's life. So first of all, let's notice this. His expression of praise. His expressions of praise. Notice that this leper is is public about his expression of praise. 
Notice in verse number 15, then one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, praising God with what kind of voice? With a loud voice. Now, likely he had been used to having a loud voice because he would cry out from a distance of anybody who would seek to come near to tell them to stay away. He had been shouting along with the other lepers that they would be cleansed. He was used to speaking with a loud voice. Sadly, possibly, as would affect many, the larynx actually would lose some of its ability and its feeling. And so while the leper might feel like they're exerting a great amount of force in, in yelling and shouting out to others to even make their voice recognizable, this man now finally had a healed larynx. And so he was shouting now with, with beautiful and clear voice, with, with great volume. He was public in his display. He wasn't shy at all. He glorifies Jesus with a loud voice, doesn't care who's going to hear it. And one of the men came back to Jesus. He praised God. He was thankful. This was this one. He had been healed. And when he came back and he fell at Jesus' feet, he wasn't quiet about it. He was louder than any normal person around that area in the time. He was praising God. I love how, this, how the hymn writer of Ray Palmer, who was publishing hymns in the early 1800s and 1830, wrote in this one song that's been recorded and included over 2,000 different hymnals, the song called, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. And the first verse reminds me of that kind of faith in which the leper responded in, in glorifying Jesus with a loud voice. Listen, and think with me on that first verse of my faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. Now hear me while I pray. Take all my guilt away. Oh, let me from this day be wholly thine. This praise from this leper was another way of God saying to us, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. For only God could heal lepers. And everybody knew that. Everybody knew that the Messiah would come and He would make the blind to see and the lame to walk and He would heal lepers of this great, great disease. Only God. And so and Jesus was healing lepers as if He had the very power to do it. And He did. He had the power of God upon Him. He was the Son of God. He was incarnate and the God worthy of worship. And this was known to these lepers as they realized that this was no mere man. This would have to be God himself who is healing of leprosy. I want you to notice that Jesus even asks and is, is said twice in this passage in verse number 16 and in verse number 18 that this one leper was a foreigner or he was a Samaritan. He wasn't one of the Jews. He wasn't one of the chosen people. He wasn't one of Israel. And it wasn't because the reason why these, these other lepers didn't return to Jesus wasn't because they were the wrong people. It was because they had the wrong heart. You know, it's entirely possible to be a Christian who's not thankful. It is full of shame. It's full of wonder. And even God looks upon it with great contempt. And in this, in this passage, in the questioning of this one leper, Jesus says, where are the rest? Where are the ones? I came to the house of Israel, but they have rejected me. But these of all should have known that I truly was the Messiah. They should be the ones returning to me. It would not be likely that a Samaritan would be the one that would return to me. And recognize that I am God, that I am the long-awaited Messiah. So too, so often we as Christians 
can be rebuked in our hearts and, and even in the general condition of our lives as we look upon sometimes even the world around us and even unbelievers who seem so grateful and so thankful and yet in, in our mouth is the sound of murmuring and complaining or even just the silence of thanklessness. Oh my, when we come to this passage often... As Christians, we come to this passage and we should be utterly undone recognizing it is entirely possible that we are not giving Jesus the thanks He deserves even though we are His very people. The nine missed out on the greater blessing. They had been healed, but they missed out on a greater blessing. They missed out on the wholeness that faith expressed in worship and thanks brings. We see this Samaritan, he knew some of the Bible. In that syncretistic religion that they had been worshipping in, he, he did recognize the Torah as the very Word of God. And he knew enough about the Old Testament to know that God was not just a healer, that, but that He was coming to be a redeemer of, of the sin guiltiness of the human heart. He knew that, that He was looking for a redeemer. He knew that there was going to be a Savior coming. And He wasn't content with just a physical healing. He wanted to relate to God Himself. And so here in this, he understands the reality of his alienation and he recognizes the need for reconciliation with God. It wasn't enough for him to just be whole in body, to be healed from his condition, but he needed and wanted and desired above all else to relate to God. And so often our physical needs just dominate in our, in our prayers, in our worship to God, that they rob us of wanting to relate and the desire and passion to want to relate to God on a very personal level. And sadly, each one of us feel indicted by some of this, the truth that's in that statement, and that is that we are very cognizant of our physical needs, but often so ignorant of our spiritual needs. We are very cognizant of our material blessings, and yet very ignorant and, and very very lacking in our expressions of thankfulness of the great spiritual riches that have been lavished on, upon us by the grace of God who purposes to bring joy to Himself in us worshiping Him. And so often our thanksgiving is so based upon the three-dimensional that it's not based upon the, the vertical. And so we see the testimony of this man who had not been in the temple in Jerusalem worshiping God. This man who had been outcast from society far away from any priest's teaching. This man is Samaritan, an unbeliever for sure, a foreigner, not one of the chosen of Israel, but actually his heart is changed. For he desires more than the material. He glorifies God with a loud voice, reminding us what kind of a loud voice this is. We find other people bringing a loud voice and glorifying God. We see that Elizabeth, that old woman who is barren, in Luke chapter 1, Luke's own gospel here, glorifies God with a loud voice when she finds that she will have a son. With a loud voice, she's public. There's great emotion with bursting out in a loud voice. It had been a while since he had a voice. And now the first words that come out of his come out of his being are to the praise of God. So we see the expression of, of worship, but also secondly we see the humility of heart in him. This also is an essential ingredient in faith formed thankfulness. So first of all, there ought to be expressions of praise in the believer's life. And if you're a child of God, you have every reason to give 
expression of praise. It ought to be an outworking. There ought to be an outward demonstration of that which is an inward reality. You ought not keep your mouth closed. You ought not keep your soul from being just just pent up. There ought to be displays and, and verbalization and vocalization and demonstrations and expressions of praise to God. And that is faithful and thankfulness. But secondly, we also see that it's driven by by a heart of hum, of humility. You see, this leper, he went back down low to where he had been used to being. He was used to living in the dirt and on the land. He was used to being at people's feet. He was used to being the least and the unwelcomed. But now, where do we find him? We find him, yes, where he feels most comfortable, there at the bottom, but now it's in a far different type of posture. He fell on his face and worshipped at Jesus' feet, He sensed that his healing was not just a broad stroke of God's grace, but it was a very deeply personal experience. He knew that he was undeserving. He knew that apart from Jesus' work of healing, that he was hopeless and that there was nothing he could do to help himself. There was just nothing. It was a death sentence. And every day and every night, he grieved and mourned in the dyingness of his body, in the inward decay even of his own soul. There was no hope for him. Unless Jesus would heal him. And it was God's special movement towards him in mercy that he realized and needed to respond. And listen, when you became a child of God, it was God's special movement of mercy towards you. It was not something general. It was not something just just spread out. There will be some who will call upon me. But Jesus moves towards you. God moves towards you. The Holy Spirit works personally in your heart, breaking your heart over sin, leading you to repentance, and causing you to call upon Jesus Christ in faith. You were helpless. You were hopeless. You were worse than a leper in your condition and doomed eternally before you knew Jesus Christ. And knowing this ought to drive us unto the humility of heart to recognize again and afresh over and over and over a tender heart of gratitude towards the Lord. The nine missed out on the greater blessing. But this one didn't. Because he wanted to be able to relate to Jesus. He was craving relationship. He knew that God had more to offer than physical healing. By the way, let me just park that there in our laps, in our thinking, in our bodies this morning as many of us listen to this message with very broken and weary bodies, chronic with disease and age. He wanted more from God than physical healing. He wanted to experience greater blessing than just physical healing. He craved a relationship. Notice in verse number 17, Jesus asked three questions that have a rhetorical nature to them. Number one, were not there ten? Secondly, like to it, but still another distinct question, where are the nine? The, the literal way in which to read this would be, but the nine Where are they? I wonder if Jesus would walk into our homes and into our church if He would have cause to say to us, why aren't you at my feet? 
The third, no one except this foreigner. No one except this foreigner. You see, the nine had been content with only just the physical aspects of God's blessing. They didn't need Jesus anymore. They received what they wanted from Jesus. They got what they wanted from him. But this, this man, he received something much greater. In verse number 19, Jesus said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Everybody of the ten were made well, weren't they? Everybody was healed. But the word that's used here for well is not as helpful as it could be. This is the same uh, the same word as we use now throughout as we hear throughout the rest of the Gospels. It, it would be the word where you and I would be saved. We would say saved. Your faith has saved you. This was not the same thing that had happened to the other nine lepers. This is a distinct happening here. This is the word that Luke uses in Luke chapter 7 verse 50. As he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. It's the word that where we recognize there is something far greater and more, far more significant happening in this relationship between Jesus and this man. Your faith has saved you. We recognize that this one laying at the feet of Jesus wanted everything that God had to give him, but the first thing he wanted from God was God himself. He couldn't hold back. He wanted to have a relationship with God. He wanted everything that God had to give, but most importantly, he wanted more than the physical. He wanted more than healing. He wanted to relate to God. He wanted to relate to God. He wanted to know God beyond the medicine, beyond the healing, beyond, beyond the comfort of his own body. But he wanted to know God on the deeper plane because he recognized his spiritual condition was far greater than that of being a leper. Now as Jesus had moved forward to, towards him in compassion and great mercy and demonstrated just the unthinkable and the, the impossible through this miracle of grace, now his heart had become awakened that there was a greater disease within him that needed to be answered by relating to Jesus Christ. And as he wept at Jesus' feet, as he shouted in glory and joy to Jesus, he was pouring out his heart saying, Oh no, this too must be healed, my soul, or I am still a leper. So too, you and I need to come craving to Jesus in our, in our moment of thankfulness, in our worship of thankfulness, recognizing that, that the signs and the external are just merely meant to be that. They were never meant to, to rob us of the deeper experience of knowing God for Himself, of relating to God. I think sometimes we, we become so accustomed to walking away with thanksgiving that we forget to fall on our face and make our home at the dirt at the feet of Jesus and just really pour out brokenness and thankfulness before Jesus. We're too content to stand upright. We don't humble ourselves in thankfulness because we don't recognize or we forget that the greater condition of our lives is not that we need another bill paid or our health restored. 
but we need that peace and that reconciliation with God that can only be brought about by knowing God through Jesus Christ. And let me just say to you who are listening here today, friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ, this is a great lesson for you to consider as the Word of God brings us before you. Your greatest need is, is not the pain that doesn't seem like any pill can touch or any medicine can, can cure or any therapy can work through. But the greatest need in, in all the world, in, in all of your life, is not what you can see. The greatest need in your life is to know that the sin that exists in your heart from the time you were born can be washed away by the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus Christ. And that if you will lay aside every excuse and every remedy that you've come up with and every reason why you should be okay before God, if you will lay aside all of that, if you will, if you will instead of standing and walking away from Jesus, if you will come to Him and humbly admit that you are helpless and hopeless, it is only then when your faith will make you well. It isn't placing your faith in any church or any religion or any record of good works that you've ever done. Whether you have good intentions. I was speaking to someone a week or two ago and sharing with them the gospel. And they told me that I wasn't a sinner. What had I ever done that was bad? I began to list out my character traits of selfishness, of greed, of covetousness, of great pride. They said to me, have you told your wife that? I'm like, well, she knows quite well. <laughs> they said, no, surely she wouldn't agree with you that you're a sinner. My friend, that's true. The nature of our hearts cannot be evaluated by us, but God's word searches out our hearts and cuts through our self-deception and helps us realize that without the saving mercies of Jesus Christ, we are lost and we are broken and we are full of sin. Whether we consider ourselves the greatest of sinners or the least of sinners, the fact remains that we are a sinner in desperate need of saving. And you can place your faith in all other areas. You can place your faith in, in, in just a, a, an in, infinity worth of remedies and schemes and, and uh, ways of thinking and philosophies all around this world. But until you place your faith in the one person that can heal you of the only thing that can be healed by God, that is your sin unto salvation, your heart unto redemption, until you have laid your face at the feet of Jesus Christ, you will continue in the leprosy of your, of your heart. And Luke wants us to recognize that, and Jesus wants us to recognize that, that the greatest condition of the human soul is, is worse, listen, is worse than the worst disease known on the planet. And until we come to God asking by faith that He give us healing in our souls, we will not know the fullness and wellness that is described here. He craved worship. The Samaritan's faith was not satisfied in working itself out only in obedience. We look at these uh, ten lepers and really all of them obey Jesus. They do what he is said to do. Notice that. But the other nine, they, they, we don't find them rebelling against Jesus. Word. We don't find them just outwardly just rejecting Jesus in that way. 
But the fact is that the Samaritan recognizes that it is not going to be obedience that saves him. It's going to be a faith. It is going to be the desire for a relationship. It isn't just obeying the Word of God. It's going to be a love for God. It's going to be a genuine desire and passion to enter into God's presence through the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, that's going to redeem his soul and heal him of his deeper need. And so often we're deceived into believing, and by the way, even as Christians, that if we're faithful Christians, if we're devout Christians, then certainly we are thankful Christians. But the fact is that obedience cannot also be a substitute for thankfulness. The Samaritan wasn't content with just a demonstration of his devoutness or of his obedientness or of his willingness. He needed, he was satisfied only in coming to God in order to relate to him. And it is entirely possible for you and I to obey the Word of God and to obey the, obey the law of God without even desiring to be relating to God. And such was the heart of the Pharisees. And such was, was really the instance here where Luke is, and Jesus is chiding the Pharisees. It is possible for you to, to try to keep the law and to try to do all these things. Make sure all your bases are covered. You're an okay person. God's going to overlook some things in the end. It's entirely possible to look like that, but to still walk away and never know God and never know the healing that God has to offer. But this one knows this. This one leper knows that obedience cannot be a substitute for true relationship with God. So often we're caught in the routine of obeying and devotion and loyalty to God that we forget that we need to come to God humbly and just come unto Him with thankfulness. And stop performing and stop showing all these things and saying, see, of course I'm thankful. Of course, of course I'm devoted. Of course I'm a committed Christian. Of course I'm an okay disciple because look what I've been doing for you, God. And, and come to God and just say, oh God, if it weren't for you, I couldn't do any of those things. If it weren't for you, I couldn't even serve you. I couldn't even know you. He was not content to only offer obedience as a means of thankfulness. So in conclusion, what does this mean for us? There's three forms of application this morning and faith forms thankfulness. And that is, thankfulness is the necessary component in sincere worship of our great Savior, Jesus Christ. Without worship, without thankfulness in worship, our worship is dull and well-nigh meaningless. And by the way, we can thank God, yes, even thank God, for some of the thankful forming thoughts and thoughtfulness that's included in our music and our worship that we celebrate every Sunday here that we sing. These songs inform, they form, they, they shape, they, they conform our hearts unto expressions of thankfulness. So sing them out. Sing them out with a loud voice like the leper does. Sing it out. Great things He hath taught us. Great things He hath done. And great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. Sing it out with a loud voice. Let it form your heart. And there are three ways in which, which thankfulness forms our worship to the Lord. And number one, thankfulness is a form of faith. Thankfulness is a form of faith and faithfulness. It is the fruit of a heart of faith. That is, the heart of faith produces thankfulness. The heart that lended unto the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, generates, produces, according to Galatians chapter 5, thankfulness. Thankfulness ignores everything of insufficiency, inability, and self-sufficiency. It sets it all aside and plunges into expressions of gratitude. You see, thankfulness 
isn't about self-pity. It isn't about dwelling upon all the things we can't do. It isn't about just feeling bad about ourselves. It isn't about, it isn't about a, really a focus on ourselves at all. It's losing ourselves in the greatness and the glory of, of God himself. By faith entering into him, knowing full well that the assessment of our lives is that we just really are insufficient in every way, but that he is sufficient. But secondly, thankfulness is a form of humility. Not only is it a form of faith and faithfulness, but it's a form of humility. We alluded to this earlier, but it is the surrendering and humbling act of confession that without the giver, there would be no supply for one's own resources. You see, if you've ever truly thanked someone that is with with heartfelt thankfulness, you know what it's like that that in that moment there is a humbling of your spirit to acknowledge the the greatness of the giver, the the greatness of their their approach to you, the greatness of their treatment of you, the greatness of their blessing to you. Thankfulness is is rooted in, in humility and that could be why we're not really good at it is because we have a really big pride problem. We're a really big pride problem, and so therefore we're, we're just not very thankful. The thankfulness runs contrary to excuses and blame and complaint. If you find yourself mingling in the world of excuses and, and blame shifting and, and even complaint, it's not because you're not thankful, it's because you're not humble. And when you, when you humble yourself, you will become thankful. Because thankfulness is a surrendered heart that is finally able to be honest about the needy condition. And the third form that thankfulness brings to faith is it brings, of course, a form of worship. You see, thankfulness, by its own nature, it is the lesser and the needy coming to the greater, the supplier and the giver. It is the affirmation and adoration of the one who not only possesses the gifts, but has moved towards the needy, like you and I, with great grace and mercy. It involves the inner being of the person. It's not willing to just settle for the external motions and the outward gestures just falling at the feet of Jesus, but it is the heart condition of faith. Notice it wasn't just the posture of the leper's body that expressed his gratitude, but it was the inward act of worship of faith and belief in Jesus as a Savior. So it involves the inner being. It's not willing to settle for the appearance or the pretense of outward gesture. It is where the soul meets with joy and fullness and satisfaction and compels itself towards convincing adulation in the presence of the supplier and deliverer. I repeat that again. It is where the soul meets with joy and fullness and satisfaction. You'll never be satisfied if you're not thankful. And it compels itself towards convincing adulation in the presence of the supplier and deliverer, our Savior and our God. So friends and
fellow followers of Christ. Thankfulness is a form of our faith and our faithfulness. Thankfulness is a form of humility. And thankfulness is certainly the form of worship. Let these truths sit and simmer in your heart. And even this week, as we seem to place a greater emphasis on thankfulness, revisit this passage and remind yourself that you ought to be more like the one who is at the feet of Jesus than the ones who are going to the temple. Let's pray.